Welcome to the podcast of Scott Street MB Church. We hope you find this message inspiring and encouraging in your walk as a disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, was that a hallelujah I heard there? That's good. <laughs> um, so if you've been joining us here and worshiping with us over the past few months, um, you'll know that together we've been looking at Israel's journey from captivity to freedom, going from being slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt to becoming free people living with and for their God, becoming a dwelling place for him. And today we're going to continue looking at that idea of moving from slavery to freedom by taking a three-week look at some of the Apostle Paul's words in his letter to the churches in Galatia. So if you want to turn to Galatians in your um, Bibles, Galatians 5 is where we're going to be spending time. Um, So we're going to be looking at, at what Paul has to say about living not as slaves to the law, but in the freedom that God offers us, a freedom that comes through faith in Christ and is lived out through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Um, Tim and the team, thank you so much for leading us in worship already. And, and we've already been singing about this beautiful grace that God offers to us, right? Um, so together we'll try to explore and find that fine balance, that place that God invites us to live in called grace that recognizes that it's not our efforts that bring us close to God. Um, It's his effort alone that has brought us near. And the appropriate response of not taking that grace and freedom for granted and living in disregard for God's desires, but honoring God with our lives and actions and thoughts in every way, not because that somehow earns us our salvation, but because we recognize the freedom that we have been given and the importance of being co-heirs with Christ, working towards the inheritance that we've already been given. This can be a tricky balance to find and to live in. And like we'll see in this letter, it's been a bit of a tricky place to find from the very beginning. Um, But I don't think that that's because God somehow made it complex or impossible Rather, I think it's because of our own human nature. Even when we've experienced the beauty and the freedom of the grace that God offers us, we're somehow always so quick to gravitate back towards either wanting to earn it and making ourselves deserving of that freedom through doing certain things and following certain rules, which results only in us binding ourselves up again. Um, Or we gravitate towards taking that freedom that Christ died to bring us for granted and trampling all over it through our allegiance not to the God who saves us, but to the ruler of this world. But in order to have the life, the full and abundant life that God offers to us, the life that gives us freedom to live and love the way that God intended, the life that will speak the truth of God's love to this world— It's important that we work towards understanding and living in that freedom offered. So we're going to spend this month looking at the freedom that Christ has offered to us and how to live in this freedom through the power of the Holy Spirit in order to truly become a new creation, a new person. 
And you know what? It's quite possible that there isn't really going to be anything new in here for you. If you've been a Christian for any length of time already, maybe you're thinking, Sabrina, that's old news. I know that I'm free in Christ and a new creation through the power of the Holy Spirit. And to that I say, amen, that's great. But at least for me, I know that sometimes I need to be reminded of the truth in order to continue walking on the narrow road that God calls us to. And my life as a Christian has been a lot like a journey of learning more about who God is and what it means to follow him. And there have been times when I've been surprised by an old truth that I'd forgotten. Um, I read a book a long time ago by the author Donald Miller, and in this book, um, he talks about how being a Christian is like walking down a long, long road towards Jesus. At the start of the journey, um, all you can see way down the road is this speck in the distance. But as you keep walking, you see that the speck is actually a person. It's a man. And as you get a bit further, you see his arms swinging as he's walking. And eventually you can hear the tune that he's whistling and see the lines on his face until finally the day comes when you're standing before him looking into his wonderful face. Um, And when we say a prayer and give our lives to Jesus, we become saved. And that's the first step in a whole life of being a disciple of Jesus. Learning who this God who created and loves us is, and what it means to follow him and become like him. Walking down that road closer and closer to Jesus. So let's take some time and remind ourselves of this old truth. What does it mean to have freedom in Christ? We're going to be looking at the Apostle Paul's words in the book of Galatians. Um, Let's start with a bit of context on this letter to the churches in Galatia that we call the book of Galatians. Um, We've been spending a lot of time lately in the Old Testament, which is where we read about and learn about how God created the universe and everything in it and how he worked to make himself known to his creation He did this through a special promise with one man and his family, the Israelites. We've been learning about that in the book of Exodus. Um, And through this one family, he wanted to bless the whole earth. In the Old Testament, we read about the Israelites' attempts to follow this great God of theirs, sometimes following him closely and other times turning completely away. And all throughout this journey of theirs, we read about God providing a way for them to fully come to him and be his. When the time is right, he will provide for them a Messiah to close that gap between God and his creation. Then in the New Testament, the second half of the Bible, we read about Jesus, the Messiah that they had been waiting for. Um, the life and death and resurrection of Christ, through which God invites all people, not just the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to come and be in relationship with him. And we read about the spread of this good news, God doing a new thing. He's made a new covenant with his people. And as the word gets out and people start giving their lives to God, we read about the start of the church, Groups of these new multi-ethnic believers coming together in community to share life and worship God together. And in the New Testament, there are 21 letters that were written to various churches and groups of these new churches 
by various apostles and Christian leaders in order to both encourage these new believers, new multi-ethnic groups of brothers and sisters in Christ, some of them who came to God for the first time hearing about this God who created everything. Um, And as they grew in their faith and learned how to become the church, the body of Christ, um, these letters also served to call them out on bad behavior and areas where they were getting mixed up and misrepresenting Christ and doing harm to the Christian witness. So the book of Galatians is one of these 21 letters. And like I said earlier, this letter was written by a a man named Paul, who although he had started his life out as a devout Jew who fought fiercely for the message of of God, fought fiercely against the message of Christ, going as far as hunting down and imprisoning and killing those who followed Christ, um, Paul had a dramatic encounter with the resurrected Jesus, through which he saw the truth of who Christ was and the freedom that he offered And he was called by Jesus to no longer fight against this new way of being in relationship with God, but rather to be an apostle, a representative of this new way, working towards making this good news known to all people and all nations. Um, Now, it's important to remember that this was a new way of being in relationship with God. And it meant that rather than God working in and through just one ethnic family, the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, rather than dwelling in a building and calling his children to come and gather to meet with him in one central location, a tabernacle or a temple, a meeting house, Rather than requiring his children to fulfill the requirements of the law that he had given to them through sacrifices and offerings and strict obedience to the law, which they'd never actually be able to fulfill fully and perfectly, God himself entered into creation as a human being in order to show us the heart of God and of the law, which, when it comes down to it, is to love God wholly and fully and to love others the same way that God loves us. So it's through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, in whom all the fullness of God dwelt, that God fulfilled the requirements of the law once and for all, which was something we would never be able to do on our own. And through this, God enacted a new covenant, a new agreement with his people, not just with the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but inviting all of humanity to enter into this covenant relationship. And that includes us today. So this new agreement and covenant between God and his people was no longer dependent on us obeying this strict set of guidelines and rules to make us part of God's family, requiring coming to make atoning sacrifices when we fail to live in obedience to those rules. Instead, this new covenant is based on God making that atoning sacrifice on our behalf. His words that we read and remember every time we're together around the communion table just last week talk about this. Jesus said, this is my body which is broken for you. This is my blood of the new covenant. Do this in remembrance of me. The new agreement that God made with his people was based on God himself fulfilling our part of that old agreement, taking our failures on himself and making the ultimate sacrifice to do what our human efforts and sacrifices could never do, 
bring us to that place where we can stand before him, no longer being separated from God, but in living in right relationship with him. Um, in Romans 10, we read that Christ is the culmination of the law, the, the f- full peak and impact of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. That if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Right? <laughs> and this is where we get into the reason Paul was writing to the churches in Galatia with a message that, although it comes out of a different context, is still so relevant to us today. You see, even though it was this new covenant that these Christians in Galatia came to God through, this covenant that wasn't based on their ability to follow rules and laws and make sacrifices, trying to earn their right to be before God, but rather this new covenant in Christ's blood that was made through God coming to earth to fulfill our part of the agreement through his great sacrifice. Even though they came to God through this new covenant, they were no longer living in the freedom of that new covenant, but were instead starting to go back and follow those old rules, eating kosher, circumcision for men, going back to that old law and old agreement with God. And so, Paul says in Galatians 5, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. If you... You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The problem was that these non-Jewish Gentile Christians were being told that to be a real Christian, they had to start following the Old Testament law. Faith in Christ was not enough. And they started to believe this, that in addition to Christ's redeeming and saving work that was done on their behalf, through which they came to know God, they had to also start following some of the rules of the Old Covenant that God had made with his people. And what does Paul say here? (laughs) He says, no, Christ came to free us from all of that. And if you start going back to that, then you're saying that the work of, that Christ did that cost him his life means nothing to you. It's worthless. And if you go back to that old covenant, even just wanting to take up parts of it, then you're actually back in that old agreement with God, that old covenant, and, will, and you'll be required to obey the whole thing perfectly all the time which is impossible to do. Don't separate yourself from the work that Christ did for you, but stay close to the Spirit while you wait by faith for the righteousness that is your hope. Now, I doubt that any of us here today are at risk of falling back into that old covenant that God had with Israel, following the 613 laws outlined in the Old Testament, Um, Is anyone here planning on getting circumcised in order to secure your salvation? Probably not. 
Um, but the idea of legalism and trying to earn our salvation through our own efforts is one that does hit close to home. Do you trust Christ alone for your salvation? Or do you give some justifying significance to your own actions and efforts, trying to earn your place before Christ? Christ plus this equals salvation, or Christ plus that. Um, I officially became a Christian when I was a very young child. I don't actually remember saying the prayer because I was so young. Um, But my mom tells me that before bed one night, after our nightly routine of me and my three siblings all piling onto one of our beds and my mom reading us a Bible story, followed by each of us getting to choose our favorite kids' praise song, um, I very much do remember that nightly routine that carried out through my childhood. But my mom tells me that one night after going through this routine, I said a prayer to ask Jesus to be the Lord of my life. Um, And even though I don't remember saying that prayer, I do remember always knowing God and experiencing his love and presence in my life. There isn't a time that I can remember not knowing that God is real and that he's active and at work in both the world and in my own life. That said, like the story I shared about our Christian faith being like walking down a road towards Jesus— As I grew up, I had to grow in my understanding of who God is and how to follow him. And I remember so clearly the first moment that I truly understood the concept of God's grace. Grace meaning that there's nothing I can do to make God love me more, and there's nothing I can do to make God love me less. God loves me, period. And nothing I do will change that. There's nothing I can do to make myself somehow more worthy of it or more deserving of it. There's nothing I can do to earn that. God looks at me and he loves me. And all I have to do is accept that. I was in my early 20s when this moment, this understanding of God's love and grace hit me. And when it dawned on me... um, the the extent of this, the hugeness of it, um, I realized that I had very much felt like it was my actions that were earning my salvation, that somewhere along the way I had misunderstood God's grace and that somehow in my relationship with him, I had begun to think that the things that I did for God were what made me worthy of his love that following a checklist of rules had somehow made me good enough for him. My understanding of being a Christian had very much started looking like a list of laws that I needed to follow. Go to church, check. Read your Bible, check. Don't swear, check. Don't gossip, check. Don't be mean to people, check. And so on. Of course, I couldn't possibly hope to be perfect, but as long as my good actions outweighed my bad ones, then I'd be okay, right? Sort of like a sliding scale with all of my good deeds on one side and all of my bad deeds on the other. And over on this side, I've got, um, you know, the horrible and ungracious things that I thought about that person I ran into earlier. But over here, I've got helping that lady with her groceries, right? Um, And and that's very much, I I don't know, somehow the way unconsciously that I approached my relationship with God. And in the end, as long as I've got more good deeds than bad, I'll be all right. But that's wrong. (laughs) 
And I hope that even as you hear me say it, you, you recognize that that's wrong. Um, this is exactly what the Apostle Paul is talking about here in the book of Galatians. If you start trying to earn your salvation through following rules, then what Christ did for you will be of no value at all. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. In Martin Luther's commentary on Galatians, he calls this a passive righteousness. And he rightly admits that it's a mystery that the world cannot understand. And I love that because isn't that the truth? How can this be? How can God's love for us not be dependent on our good actions and deeds towards him, but rather dependent solely on his actions towards us? It just doesn't make sense. Um, And Martin Luther explains that for human beings by nature— when they get near either danger or death itself, will of necessity examine their own worthiness. We defend ourselves before all threats by recounting our good deeds and moral efforts. But then the remembrance of sin and flaws inevitably come to mind, and this tears us apart, and we think, how many errors and sins and wrongs have I done? Please, God, let me live so I can fix and amend them. We become obsessed with our active righteousness and are terrified by its imperfections. But the real evil is that we trust our own power to be righteous and will not lift up our eyes to see what Christ has done for us. So the troubled conscience has no cure for its desperation and feeling of unworthiness unless it takes hold of the forgiveness of sins by grace offered free of charge in Christ in Jesus Christ, which is the passive or Christian righteousness. If I tried to fulfill the law myself, I could not trust in what I had accomplished. Neither could I stand up to the judgment of God. So I rest only on the righteousness of Christ, which I do not produce but receive. God the Father freely giving it to us through Jesus Christ. We do not produce our own righteousness, our own goodness, but we receive it freely from God through Jesus Christ. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm in it. God has done the work. Christ has paid the price. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Don't take back that old yoke of slavery that requires you to try to make yourself righteous and holy before God. That's not possible to do. Instead, through the active work of the Holy Spirit, eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. When this sinks in, it leads to tremendous peace and balance in the Christian life. It illuminates It eliminates huge ups and downs because when you experience the big successes, they don't go to your head. You aren't puffed up. And when you experience the failures, you aren't brought low. You realize it's okay. There's grace and mercy in that. 
And because you know that God's love is faithful and true, and your standing before God has not changed, you're free from focusing all of your attention on following the rules and trying to earn your place in the kingdom before Christ. And instead, you can focus on actually knowing and loving this powerful and gracious God and allowing him to do his work in your life and through your life. For, for me, that was a game changer. All of a sudden, I didn't have to worry about was I good enough or was I messing up too many times. Instead, I could just be in God's presence and experience it and learn from him and, and in that process be transformed into the person he actually created me to be. And, and this is a beautiful place to be in, and it gives us freedom to do what the Apostle Paul tells us is the only important thing. He says the only thing that counts is faith, this faith in Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ has redeemed us and made us worthy, expressing itself through love, through love, loving ourselves, through loving God fully, and through loving others. It's freedom. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Um, I'd like to invite Tim and the band back up. Um, Maybe you're sitting here thinking, okay, well, so what does that mean for me to live in this freedom? What about all those people who say that they're saved but their lives don't reflect it? How do I live in this freedom that Christ has given? Um, Paul next week is going to explore that a bit more with us. He's going to take us through more of Galatians chapter 5 and we'll be reminded of what we are to do with this freedom Christ has given to us and how to live our lives by the Spirit. Um, but in this week, remember these words, that it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Remember that you can't earn it. Your good actions don't make you any more worthy of God's love. And I, I challenge you to, to think on that and to pray through that this week. Ask God to show you in what, in what areas you have actually been trying to earn his love, rather than just living in that presence of being in his love. Yeah, bow with me in in prayer. Father, we, we thank you that you are the God who created all things. God, you know each one of us. You created us. You knit us together before our, our mother even knew that we were in existence. You were, you were putting us together exactly the way that you wanted. And God, you, you know us and you love us. And, and you don't ask us to earn that love. It's already there. And you've actually made the way for us to live in the presence of that love and grace. And so, God, I pray for each one of my brothers and sisters here this morning. I pray that, that as a people, as your people, as your children, we would learn more and more how to live in the fullness of that grace and love and mercy. That, that rather than focusing our attention on being good enough for you, we would focus our attention on you alone. And we would live as the free people you intended us to be and that you came and lived and died and rose again to, to offer to us. And so, God, I, I pray that you, you know each person here, you know even where we're at in our understanding and in our own journey on this road towards you, our own journey of being free people who, who can live in your presence. And so, God, I pray that you would meet each one of us exactly where, where we need you. Show us, show us more of your love for us and teach us how to live in the presence of that.
And God, I, I, I acknowledge as well that you, when we do love you, when we come to that place where we accept your, your free gift of, of love and freedom and relationship, that it isn't just for our own sake. You actually call us to, to share that with others. And so, Father, I pray too that you would teach us how to be a family here, how to love you fully, and how to share your love with, with everyone that we meet. Yeah, thank you. And, and God, I thank you as well that it's only through your name and your sacrifice that we can even come to you. So I thank you, and it's in your name that I pray these things. Amen. Thank you for listening. For any questions about the message or to contact any of our pastors, please visit scottstreetchurch.ca.